0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Tomahawk Talk. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and you are either listening to this as a podcast or live on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. It's been a long couple of months, and I'd be lying if I said it was easy to come up with content for this show with not many actual sports going on around the world. That is starting to change, though. Sports are starting to return, at least in some capacity. The Top Flight Baseball League in Korea got their season underway last week. And I've been waking up at odd hours in the morning to see what it's all about. I've had a good time. UFC had a pay-per-view event this past weekend, UFC 49, which included two title fights. We'll be talking about that later on in the show. And Major League Baseball is eyeing a July start for the 2020 season. Although fans probably won't be in attendance, we are craving live sporting entertainment uh, like never before. Quite honestly, we don't know what to do without it. We're going to talk about all that and more on tonight's episode. I am joined, as always by my good friend and co-host Gary Putnick who got a chance to try out the Seminole Legacy golf course for the first time which I'm sure he was very happy about. How you doing Gary?
1: I'm doing well and even better after actually playing that course and getting to actually get out on it because I've seen pictures. I've visited the course a couple times to do interviews with the coaches and players about their seasons in general but I've only got to see a little bit of it but finally getting out there was really cool to see. Way tougher than I originally expected. I assumed a little bit of like a toned down version to some degree of certain aspects. But the greens, the greens are the toughest part of this golf course. They were rock hard this past weekend, which made it even worse. So now my game, which usually translates to more of a bump and run style of chipping around the greens, did not translate well. So I had to try and adapt and do more flop shots. And even then it, it didn't stick on the greens. So I shot 95, not great, not awful. It was still a fun day though.
0: Well, much, much better than me. And, uh, yeah, I got to say, Gary, I'm bringing, I'm, my dad has given me his old clubs. Ooh. So I'm bringing some golf clubs back to Tallahassee. I don't know when you'll be back in town. I know you're back in South Florida right now, but I don't know. I'm going to need some work. I might need a teacher.
1: Well, oh, yeah, I'll be there to help out. We can
0: go team up somewhere. <laughs> For sure. We'll find, a, we'll find a place. Joining our panel once again tonight, even though we are not letting him defend his trivia title this week, we'll have to do it next week or, or in the near future. It's Gabe Tisnes. Gabe, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going, Brett?
2: Uh, Things are great. Uh, I just came back from the gym and now we get to talk some sports, which is always a good time. Um, You know, we were talking about sports in the future, which is awesome because we can think about whenever all this is going to be over with, uh, which is really exciting. Um, Yeah. Did you say the gym? Yeah. Which gym? My apartment complex. I'm being safe. I'm being safe. Oh, okay. I was about to say, Uh, which
0: world are you on right now? (laughs) I was shocked. The reason I was shocked is I was like, you're going to the gym? Yeah. it's is a too. free pass to sit on your couch and watch TV. Good point.
2: <laughs> it's, it's, I've been watching Netflix every day, and believe me, it gets tiring at a, I want some point. Like mm-hmm. Well, I said, I said that when get, this is
3: all over, everyone's either yeah. going to come out of this 20 pounds underweight or 20 pounds
2: overweight. Oh, that's very uh, good. I'm <laughs> hoping I'm on the other side of that.
0: I've, I've been telling people, uh, you know, I can't wait for this quarantine to be over so I can stay inside and play video games. <laughs> Uh, rounding out our panel tonight, you just heard him there a little bit, is Alex Krutchek, who I think has also been watching a little bit of the KBO, which I just mentioned in the lead. So, uh, Alex, you, you enjoying some Korean baseball?
3: I am, Brent, especially those uh, ESPN games at 1 in the morning. I'm always a little bit confused. Like, should I go to sleep early and then wake up at 1 a.m., or should I just stay awake at 1 a.m. right through 4 a.m.? And, you know, when it's for baseball, when you haven't watched baseball in a couple months, You'll sacrifice a little bit of sleep for it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and one thing I've enjoyed about the broadcasts on ESPN, because they're doing them remotely, the two broadcasters are calling it from their homes early in the morning. They've had Carl Ravich, Eduardo Perez, uh, Boog Shiambi, Jessica Mendoza has been on. And there's been a lot of technical difficulties because they're doing, they're calling a league they've never called and they're not actually at the ballpark. And that made me feel good because, Alex, you and I called across games earlier this year when we were still, you know, playing sports. And we also went through our fair share of technical difficulties. So it made me feel good to see that even the, uh, the big leaguers do it, you know, up at ESPN.
3: Exactly. Brett, I want to know, what was it? Were you watching the KBO the very first night?
0: Um, uh, no. Were- well, I watched the rerun. I, I made it to 1 o'clock because that first game was at 1 a.m. I made it to 1 a.m and then I saw the tarp on the field, and my head hit the pillow, and I said, I'll watch Right, because
3: I want to know what your reaction was, because my reaction was almost the same. I actually started going to sleep, and then I heard Carl Ravitch say, all right, they're taking the tarp off, and all of a sudden, I just got a huge rush of energy.
1: I waited it out before until they pulled off the tarp, so I was like, I got to see at least the first couple innings, then I can go to bed. And that's where I've generally been landing. I've been landing, like, first few innings, then I'll go to sleep, then watch the, la- the later half the next day in the afternoon.
0: Yeah, they'll show the reruns in the afternoon. I watched the whole first game. But for the games that are starting uh, early in the morning, I've been waking up. It's helping me fix my sleep schedule. That's for sure. Um, but, yeah, talking more about the KBO, I know that uh, I have adopted the NC Dinos, who hit the crap out of the ball every single game. It seems like they've got a couple players that might have some major league potential, um, including Sungbom Na, a lefty that just drops tanks. Um, But, Gary, if you picked a team, you just watching. How have you been consuming the KBO?
1: I mean, I picked a team just like everyone else, I would assume. And Alex brought it to my attention earlier before the games even started on, what was it, Wednesday of last week or something like that? I don't even know at this point. But uh, Alex brought it to my attention that former Miami Marlin Dan Straley was on the Lotte Giants. So I decided to pick up that team, and I know Alex did the same. So we kind of got to ride with our boy Dan on this one.
3: Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Brett. Funny thing about the Lotte Giants. So I picked them just because Dan Straley is on the team. And that's the only reason. I don't know their history. I don't know anything. So before game one, I decide to look up last year's standings to see how the Giants performed last year. And of course, in true South Florida sports fan fashion, I find out that they finished in last place last year. I think they went like 48 and 93. And now they've, com- they've done a complete 180, and now they're the only undefeated team in the KBO at 5-0. and Not only do they have Dane Straley, who pitched a seven-inning shutout a couple days ago, they also have Dixon Machado, which I think mm-hmm. a lot of MLB fans will be familiar with. He's hitting three eighty nine and has three home runs through just 18 at-bats so far.
1: Dad looked a bit uh, shaky in his first start. I can't remember who they were playing by. I think he gave up three runs in like five innings or something like that, or two runs in five innings. But either way, he started to level out and he's starting to look a lot better, even though it's tough to watch them because the Giants are not being televised on ESPN. ESPN is really just giving us the NC dinos and shoving them down our throats. Yeah. So, no
3: respect. No respect. Exactly. Gary, we're used to it though. It's fine. I know. I know.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the schedule though for this week. I know the Wyverns, the SK Wyverns are on TV a little bit more this week. The Doosan Bears are getting some more television time, the Kia Tigers as well. Uh, I think maybe what they're trying to do is just get, uh, you know, try to stay k- keep some consistency. It helps the broadcasters out as they're learning these teams learning these rosters, learning, uh, you know, how the games would go work. So, yeah, the Dinos, maybe I picked them up because they have been on TV for most of the first week. They're actually on tomorrow morning, so I'm going to be waking up to watch that. Um, but overall, I've been I, enjoying it. I think the, the quality of play is pretty good. The biggest difference is probably the velocity on some of the pitches. You're seeing, like, 92, 93-mile-an-hour fastballs instead of 95 to 100-mile-an-hour fastballs. Um, there's some really good pitchers though, with some great stuff, and uh, the power there is big. They're 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 dropping tanks, like I said, including Sung Na. And overall, it's been really good, and a lot of recognizable names too. Preston Tucker, who had played with the Astros, Taylor Motter who had played with the Rays, um, like you guys said, Dan Straley, Aaron Altair is uh, playing in the league as well. So so plenty of names that American baseball fans might recognize, but uh. I don't know. Is this something you guys could see yourself, if not watching, at least following, maybe checking the box scores once Major League Baseball starts up again?
3: I think I will. I, th- I like to think that um, I'll keep, wa- or keep keeping up with it. I do think that once I get my fill of MLB baseball, I don't see a reason why I'd want to wake up at 5 a.m. to watch this. But yeah, it's all over. I'll have, to, I'll have to keep up my appreciation for them.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be tuning in to watch live games, but I'll, maybe I'll check the box score every other week or so. But it's just like once I have my real team, my Marlins back and uh, sorry, Alex and I are Marlins, uh, then I'll be really just locked into them and the other sports. Because once we get to baseball, hopefully by then in July, we'll have golf back now. NASCAR will be still going Um there might i what well, i don't know about the other uh soccer leagues i think those will be starting to come back up i know bundesliga, bundesliga comes this back weekend. yeah bundesliga is this weekend and then we got la liga and like serie a possibly Gym. coming out down the line so yeah exactly so we'll have a lot more sports to follow and a lot kind of bigger names to look at as well i
2: personally don't really fancy baseball so uh, yeah <laughs> but i just want to say it's really impressive how you guys have been keeping up with the korean league because it was very challenging for me to wake up at 7 a.m. for the 2018 World Cup, and I'm a very big soccer fan. So I can't even imagine, like, how challenging this must be for you guys.
3: Oh, <laughs> I, I love Twitter during it because especially opening night, they were tweeting about it as if it was a major league game.
0: What I'm – and Alex, that's a good point because what I'm enjoying with Twitter is usually, you know, the regular season you get a primetime game or just a regular 7 o'clock game in the regular season. If you go on Twitter, you know, some people on your feed are going to be tweeting about the game you're watching. You know, the, you know, for you, the Marlins fans that you know are the people that are associated with the Marlins. Even, but there's so many other people tweeting about other things. But at 5 in the morning, 6 in the morning, <laughs> the only people that are tweeting a bunch on your feed are people watching that game. So that is a, a fun part about it. There's a lot more interaction. And it's a great, great opportunity for American fans, I think, to, to you know the baseball community to keep in touch. But the other big thing in the sporting world that we can watch that's live right now that people are tuning in into every Sunday night is The Last Dance. We're recording this on a Monday. Uh, if you're listening to this on WVFS, it'll probably be live after episodes 9 and 10 air on ESPN. At the time of recording, we've only seen episodes 7 and 8. But I'll be honest, I have to make a confession. I haven't seen episode 8. You guys can talk about it. I like, I'll take the spoilers. I know I have to kind of bear that because I'm the host of this show and we have to talk about it, but I was watching WWE's Money in the Bank pay-per-view last night. Only had time to watch episode seven of The Last Dance today. Didn't get to watch episode eight, but uh, Gary, initial thoughts on on both episodes.
1: I mean, they were, they were the most emotional and kind of, I think some of the more serious ones out of all the episodes that we've done so far, and I enjoyed that. It was a good change of pace, because I know a lot of the time they've all been kind of laughing funny, like, how we get a laugh at people saying curse words on live television at nine o'clock at night. But like this one, it was heavy because it dug into Michael Jordan, his father's death. And it also dug into the allegations around it, that it could have been linked to his gambling, which wasn't probably true. And then it also dug into baseball. And so that was something I was really interested in. They had Terry Francona come on and that was also very fun, but I don't know, Alex, what did you think of the last episodes from last night?
3: Well, I thought it was really interesting. The thing that I wanted to talk about was just his competitive nature that sometimes boiled over to be too much for some people. And I think that's what he meant. I don't know if you guys remember, before the last dance started, he said, I think people are going to think I'm a huge a-hole after this is all over. And I think last night, Sunday night, was when that finally started to kick in just a little bit. I still don't think that he's a bad guy, but I could see what people meant. He just would push his teammates during practice. He would call them names. He would just try to, in his head, he was trying to motivate them, but some players didn't see it that way.
1: Well, he wouldn't just push them. He would also punch them.
3: <laughs> right, Steve Kerr. Small detail. i sure has, uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, for uh, sorry, me, uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, so for me, I was born a couple months after the last Dance actually happened. So this has been like, Incredible for me to watch because you know you always have the old people in the back saying, oh Michael Jordan, this Michael Jordan, that." So it's amazing to be able to see uh, from the insights point of view how it, everything happened and obviously learn more about it. Um, but it also really humanizes Michael Jordan because before he's just like the guy that won six championships, the guy that is universally considered as the goat, even though I think LeBron has a little bit of an argument for that. But it's it's really amazing to see how he you know, came from North Carolina and then overcame a lot of challenges. And then he also had to deal with the media and uh, just the pressure and just being Michael Jordan for one day seems like an impossible challenge. So for that, I have to respect him a lot more.
3: Yeah. One of the things that stood out to me at the beginning, Gabe, speaking of all that was the fact that history really does repeat itself. Cause I, just like you, I was born just about the same year this happened, but none of us have any recollection of it. I don't remember at all the part of Michael Jordan where they were criticizing him in the beginning, wondering, I don't know if this guy's good enough. I don't know if he has the clutch gene. The fact that anybody ever said that about Michael Jordan was really interesting to me.
1: Exactly. No one wants that being brought back up because no one wants the old takes exposed saying, this guy said Michael Jordan wasn't going to be good, and then he goes on to win six titles, even with taking an 18-month hiatus to play baseball in between.
2: Exactly. That's, one, that's one of the things that it's so fascinating to me because Michael Jordan has a way of doing things and that's something that he addressed. He said that for him it worked and it's something that is not easy to do. But for other players like Kobe or for even Cristiano Ronaldo in soccer, in a different world, it seems to be a little bit more challenging because people are not the same. They're, they're wired a lot, of, a lot differently because of how our society has changed. So I don't know if it's the best way to do it nowadays.
3: What are you talking about? Like how to push other people to be the best that they can be? Yeah, Yeah, because they. (laughs)
2: Well,
3: and that's funny that you mentioned that because they even mentioned when MJ went on retirement and played baseball, they said Scottie Pippen pushed us too, but in a more loving, coddling type of way.
2: Yeah, leadership doesn't just have to be, you know, yelling and screaming and and punching people, It, it comes in different ways.
1: Well, that's where it could have worked with MJ and Scotty because MJ was probably playing bad cop and then Scotty was good cop. So it, it, there was that yin yang kind of balance there in terms of their
0: coaching and motivational skills. You well, know, and look what happens, though, with Scotty Pippen when MJ's not there. They showed it at the end of episode seven. He pulls himself out of the game in a series that, you know, they won that game, but they ended up losing the series. And that's just something that MJ wouldn't do. And it's not nothing to take away from Scotty Pippen as a player. But in that moment, you know, it's, it's, it's a moment in his career that is, you know, you know people are going to remember forever. Well, so, I don't know
2: if, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: No, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: So I don't know if he, if MJ wouldn't have done that because MJ would have probably gotten the ball. That's the thing that happened to Scotty. He didn't get the ball and he was the MVP for most of the season. And it wasn't the first time also that that happened. They gave the ball to, what was his name again? The Croatian player? Tony Kukoc. They gave him the ball a couple times. They showed that in the in the episode, how he shot the ball last for a couple other games. But when it came to the playoffs, Scotty felt like he was owed that moment. And I don't know if MJ would have also felt like that.
0: Well, even if MJ hadn't, you know, you, you you've seen a couple stories now with Scotty Pippen, obviously the one where he decided not to have surgery over the offseason so that he could, you know, quote unquote enjoy his summer. Um, but you know, the, even when Scotty wasn't you know, the guy, um, he, sometimes he took that badly. And, yeah, again, personal decision, it's something that he's talked about since then he talked about it on the show last night. But, you know, what I'm enjoying about this is we've all heard stories about Michael Jordan, right, about some of the things he would do in practice. We heard stories about that Dream Team practice, that scrimmage back in 92. Through this documentary, we're seeing real footage. We're seeing real proof of the of the player, of the athlete, of the person that Michael Jordan you know, was and is, and there's some negative with it, but overall that's part of his greatness uh, and, and part of who he was. And you look at what his teammates say, uh, you know, guys like Purdue and um, they have Paxton on there and, and, and Pippen, they know that Michael Jordan made them better. It made them a six time champion. So overall, you know, I think the documentary is doing a really good job to give us a peek behind the curtain I think it's gotten better as it's gone on. Uh, the first couple episodes I liked, but they weren't anything groundbreaking for me. But now, getting into some really interesting stuff, uh, and, and I'm excited to see why well, I got to go back and watch episode eight, but episodes nine and ten next week. And, uh, and then hopefully by then we'll have other sports. I know we've got the Bundesliga coming back in Germany, NASCAR, we've got golf, and hopefully some Major League Baseball soon.
1: I got it. One more question before we get off the last dance topic. It goes back to MJ and his baseball career. Do you guys agree when Tony Francona said, or Terry Francona, not Terry Francona? Terry Francona said that if MJ got 1,500 ABs, he would be in the majors. He got, uh, to put it in perspective, he got 436 at bats in the uh, double A. No. And he got 202. Probably not.
3: Not in his. 15,000
1: I mean, is a lot. Fi- I know that's what. well, I'm saying, well, I what think that, he said that. three seasons? Yeah, about three seasons worth. So I'm saying he's, I believe Frank said this because his determination and work ethic was so great that he could almost try and will it. But that's the difference between baseball and basketball. It's a lot easier to will whatever you want on your opponent in basketball than it is in baseball. Because there's certain aspects that you can't control all the time. But I but still
3: can't. You yeah. can't really work your way into hand-eye coordination as easy as, you know, willing your way to bulking up to face the Pistons. Yeah,
1: and, but I still think MJ still had solid hand-eye coordination. I still think he would have been able to do well enough. I, for sure, he could have made AAA, but I just would like to see him get it a little bit longer. And sadly, the strike uh, cut his career a bit short in the majors or in my, the minors.
0: Yeah, maybe, you know, 15,000 at-bats. I think that's possible. But it's so hard to tell, and, and he struggled a lot, very streaky from, from what the documentary painted his mm-hmm. short baseball career to be. Um, but maybe, who knows? Yeah, maybe his work ethic, uh, you know, because they, they did show clips of him saying, oh, like, when are we going to be at the cages, 7.30? Mm-hmm. I'll be there. And he and would they- just hit breaking balls off the machine. And so maybe, who knows?
1: Yeah, they said he would take batting practice before – he would go hit in the cages before batting practice, hit batting practice, hit after batting practice, after batting practice and then hit after the game. So he would hit four different times in a uh, in a day before, even before he stepped on the field, almost. But so defense
0: wins championships. You got to take more fly balls. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, I, fly balls are easier than hitting a baseball. So I give him credit. He's working on the hardest aspect of the game, pro- arguably the hardest aspect of sports.
0: I don't know. Fly balls are pretty tough. Did you see the one clip of him trying to get that ball at the warning track last night? You can learn it's how to bad. read a
1: fi- You can re- learn how to read a fly ball. Trust me, I did it.
0: Yeah, I could never master it. My um, but we don't have to talk about that. And pop Poplis are another thing. <laughs> we are going to talk more about Major League Baseball later on in the show. But before then, we had live sports last night. UFC 249, two title fights. We had Henry Cejudo versus Dominic Cruz, in which Henry Cejudo won and retired right after. Gary, what were your thoughts on that fight?
1: The Henry Cejudo fight, I mean, it was exactly, I would say it was for the most part what I expected. I had Henry Cejudo winning this fight, and he once again proves why he is one of the best fighters probably in his, in his weight class to ever really lace him up almost. So he defended his title against Dominic Cruz, in the, and he finished him in the second round to a TKO, hit him with a nasty knee, and then finished him off with some punches before the ref called it. There was a controversial finish here, because he knocked him down with the knee, got uh, Cruz to the ground, and he started to wail on Cruz while he's on his hands and knees. And then Cruz starts to get back up. But before he can actually get back up, he was making movements to kind of use the fence to kind of almost prop him up to get up there. The ref called it. He called it quick. Cruz was very angry, and rightfully so, I think. It was a bit early. I can see why he called it, though. But it's just such a one of those kind of like tight calls that, It really, you see a lot of in MMA.
0: So would you have have stopped the fight if you were the ref?
1: I would have have tried to let it go just a tad longer just because, I would try to let it go just a bit longer because you saw him make movements. Yes, he wasn't really defending himself by putting his hands to his head and trying to guard his face, but he was moving his hands in order to get up. And that is, in a sense, kind of defending yourself a bit. So I know, what did you see out of it?
0: I mean, it, it was over, but it might not have been over, over. Like, it, you know, yeah. if, if, if it wasn't over then, it might have been over five seconds later. You know, yeah, it could have been over that. in
1: the third round or whatever. But still, because that was, because it ended four minutes, 58 seconds in to yeah. the second round. So, I mean, technically, he could have had a chance to regroup in the in between the second and third round and come out and make an adjustment. But I think Suhuda really had the pressure putting on there, but... That wasn't even, I think, the best fight of the night, in my opinion. I mean, we'll get to the Tony Ferguson fight a bit later, but I want real to touch on Real quick, though,
0: before you talk about that fight, because I, I, mm-hmm. I do want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Henry Cejudo retired right after he yes. won. Do you think yes. that's a re- real retirement, or do you think that he'll be back in maybe a year or two or less?
1: You know, I haven't actually thought of him going for the kind of the play where I'm retiring, the Brett Favre retirement almost. But yeah, I, I really think he's done. Because, I mean, he's won two titles. He's won two different weight classes. He's won bantamweight and I can't ride uh, a featherweight. And then he also has an Olympic title for wrestling. So why, I mean, he's really reached the mountaintop in his uh, aspect. I mean, like, where, where else can he really win? What, he, only has stuff to, he only has it to lose right now. So there's no reason, I think, for him to kind of go back out there.
0: Yeah, I think some people were were speculating that you know his contract's about to run up with with UFC and that he's trying to gain a little leverage to to maybe come back, maybe he takes some time off, but uh, Dana convinces him to come back. But it would shock Possibly. me if he walks away. Like yeah. you said, he, he won. He's won it all.
1: Yeah, I could also see him coming back, but because he's still got, he's still such a good fighter right now. I mean, he's still pretty young for the, his game, so it'd be interesting to see how he kind of turns out going down the road, but. Before we get to the main event for that night, I want to touch on the fight just before the Henry Studio fight, and that was Francis Nganu against – I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name. Uh, it's just – I can't read that one. But Francis Nganu finished him with a KO in 20 seconds. Francis Nganu is one of these guys, one of the strongest and most built human beings on the planet – He's got a square jaw and he will knock you out. And he really has shown that early on in his career that he has significant and real punching power. And it was looked a bit unrefined early on, but since his loss to Stipe Miocic, he's kind of settled down. He's started to look better. He's looking more mature and he's learning how to fight properly now in the UFC. And hopefully he can actually get a title fight sooner or later once the whole Stipe D.C uh trilogy is over in a few i think in a few months maybe by the end of the year we get the end of that trilogy
0: yeah i think he's one of the up-and-comers in in ufc that definitely deserves a big fight and and i watched back the highlights of that fight i didn't catch that one live but um incredible showing that that he put on and i think uh yeah it'd be awesome to see him get a chance in that division to win the title but the main event tony ferguson justin gaethje uh Dustin and Gaethje pulls it off, wins the title. So this was supposed to be Ferguson-Habib, and uh, that ended up not happening. But, uh, Gary, thoughts on that? I mean, Tony Ferguson, he
1: just – he let himself get beat up way too much in the first – in the early rounds. In the early rounds, he was getting pounded. And Gaethje really noticed that, and he's like, I'm going to – he noticed Ferguson's going to let me get in there, get a few hits, and then I'm going to try and back out before he can really rebuttal. Because Ferguson really has – his idea was that he's going to go in and try and get out quickly cuz he knows if he wants to fight well with Gaethje, he's got to put him kind of in a he's got to make him fight in a phone booth cuz Gaethje, he really uses some length and uses that extension to his advantage and Ferguson just wasn't ready for Gagechi's counterattack cuz Gagechi's counterattacking was what won him this fight and it was really impressive to see him kind of go and if you look at their pictures you probably find the picture of them um, raising up at Ga- the end of the fight, Gaethje looks like he's barely been touched. Yeah. And Ferguson is bloodied. Like he's got some deep cuts like right under his eye. I think he had a couple on maybe his forehead, but it was it almost felt like a very one-sided battle, even though Ferguson did land a bunch of t- big hits. Like I know at the end of the second round, he landed a huge uppercut that knocked Gaethje to his knees. And I think that was maybe one of the only knockdowns of the night. So well, I think that,
0: Ferguson was. I thought Ferguson was going to win at that point. I thought he was going to knock him out.
1: Yeah, I thought the tides were kind of changing. Ferguson was starting to get in his own, just starting to find his rhythm because he really Ferguson has extremely good uh, endurance, and that's where we were expecting. We didn't. We saw if maybe this goes five rounds, Ferguson will probably win this. But uh, Gaethje really outperformed. I think what a lot of people thought he was going to do.
0: Yeah, for sure. In in both of these fighters. Same exact height, same exact weight. Ferguson, I think, had about six and a half inches on him in terms of wingspan. He's a very lanky guy. He's got the long arms, Mm -hmm. which lends itself to a very unorthodox style of fighting. And that's kind of what helped Tony Ferguson be as dominant as he has been these last few years. But Justin Gaethje, what a methodical, uh, fundamentally sound fighter. And every every hit on on Ferguson just bloodied him up, but Hey, props to Ferguson. Were you surprised yeah. that he stayed in the fight for as long as he did?
1: Yeah, I mean, he was, like I said earlier, he was getting pounded early and often by Gaethje, and so it was just wild to see him stay up because there were some punches where you're like, oh, my gosh, how is he still standing, or how is he not at least fall to his knees? I mean, he stumbled a little bit. He shook. I know they called it when he started to kind of shake his head, and he was like, he looked a bit rattled, but you heard Ferguson at his uh, post-fight interview with uh, – um, with Joe Rogan he did not sound like a guy who just got battered and bruised for 5 rounds he sounded like a guy who kind of just did a light workout or maybe like no slurring no it's all coherent speech so i mean that was really what was surprising me out at the end of the, of the end of that fight
0: what do you think's next for ferguson after after a loss like this
1: i mean this was his first loss in 13 fights so i mean he's still in the title hunt i mean if he can We'll see how the Gaethje Khabib matchup goes because, let's be honest, Ferguson got screwed with how this all worked out. He had five Khabib matchups taken away; they got canceled. Mm -hmm. Like a couple were his fault, or his fault due to injury, and a couple other were Khabib's either on the travel side because of the coronavirus or because of Khabib's injuries. So Ferguson really got screwed out of his chance to win a title because this was the interim belt, which. Really doesn't matter. And you saw how Gaethje thought of the interim belt at the end, when he just, when Dana White handed him the belt and he threw it to the side of the ring because it's not the real thing, which I really appreciate Gaethje doing. But I still think Ferguson's got a chance. He's going to watch, see how Khabib, how Khabib destroys Justin Gagey, because that's really what's going to happen. And then he's going to get a second crack at uh, Justin.
0: You mentioned Gaethje and Khabib, which is probably the next fight here. But really starting today on social media, we saw Conor McGregor get involved. And Conor McGregor wants his chance as well. He beat Cowboy in his first fight back to the UFC. How do you think Conor McGregor works into this uh, feud
1: connor has got to wait his turn, but Conor is doing his best to promote himself, which is one of his best aspect or one of his best traits as in the, in the UFC. So he, he's going to try and insert himself into any conflict, try and rile anyone up. But we know what happens when Conor riles up Khabib, he gets submitted and it's over. So I think Conor really has to wait his turn. Maybe he gets Ferguson, maybe for him and Ferguson duke it out for the next man up to fight either Gaethje or, Khabib I know you really can't just leapfrog leapfrog the guy who loses in the Khabib Gaethje matchup but I would like to see a Ferguson Connor matchup that'd be really fun
0: have they fought before
1: um I don't believe so maybe once before I can actually look that up but I their fighting styles line up sort of the same they're both stand-up guys they really have good punching power and I think it'd be a lot of fun
0: I think that would be a really good booking for the UFC. I think both of those guys, though both of those names carry a lot of weight. Obviously, McGregor is probably the biggest name in the sport right now. Um, but, yeah, that would be a really good step. But the only problem there is, like you said, the winner of that fight doesn't automatically become the title contender because whoever loses Khabib and could be even Gaethje is going to want a rematch. So it could be a while until we see Ferguson or McGregor get their next title chance unless you know something else happens. Oh, which is unfortunate because, like you said, Tony Ferguson, you know, this was supposed to be his, his shot at Khabib McGregor. Uh, I don't think I, I've always said that McGregor needs to wait a little longer. He left, he went and did the Floyd fight. He's done other <laughs> things. He needs to get big into it, he needs to wait his turn. But uh, well, yeah, I think McGregor Ferguson would be a great booking.
1: The fight people want before Khabib McGregor or Ferguson McGregor, they want McGregor Masvidal. That's the fight that yeah. everyone wants because those guys talk the most smack. They got the biggest mouths in the, in the UFC. But I just don't – I don't want it to happen right now. I want to wait till we can have fans because that fight cannot be on Fight Island with no fans.
0: I need – I think you need – yeah, you, for, for that fight more than any other book booking.
1: Exactly. Because in an interview with Barstool Sports, Dana White uh, mentioned that he received some text messages during the interview from McGregor saying that he wants to fight on Fight Island. And his first question about fighting on Fight Island was, are there going to be fans? And I think that's a huge part for McGregor. He really feeds off the fans, those Irishmen, and even the wannabe Irishmen who come in for the day and wear the green, and, green white, and orange. So I really don't want to see McGregor fight on Fight Island. I want to see him fight in a full arena. And, but I'd like to see him fight Masvidal first. His first fight back, I just want to see Masvidal give me that fight because that is going to be so much fun.
0: That would be electric, and I honestly don't know who I'd root for. So I've I don't, actually got my Irish tough, side, but I've also got you know my girlfriend's Cuban, so I don't know. I'd yeah, be it's torn. A, it's a
1: tough one for me because Masvidal's a Miami kid, Miami yeah. guy. He lives down here, but then I also like one of the first guys that I started like that kind of got me into like I started following UFC a little bit before McGregor got big, but I really latched on to connor when he got bigger and when he started to fight, and I started to see him. Uh, fight on the undercards a bit more so it'd be a ton of fun and I just want just root for a good fight that's all I'd want that's all I ever want in these fights
0: for sure and uh, Gabe I know uh, this this might be a little more favorable to you but we're going to talk baseball now <laughs> oh yeah i just, just this I'm is just my forte <laughs> I know we've had some NFL heavy shows some soccer heavy shows but now you we, we do have to talk baseball because based on reports from Ken Rosenthal Jeff Passan a few other of the national baseball writers the owners in Major League Baseball have put together a plan that they are sending to the Major League Baseball Players Association, which obviously represents all the athletes, and uh, they want to bring baseball back in July. Now, some of these details have been released. We're looking at a you know early July startup. Some people have said July 1. Some people have said the 4th of July, but we're looking at an 82-game schedule. Um, and, and, and the divisions have been well, – no one's really sure what the divisions are going to look like, if they're going to be the normal divisions or if they're going to have to make it regional divisions for travel purposes, um, but most teams will be playing in their home ballparks except for teams that play in places that won't allow them to do so. I think the Blue Jays were one team mentioned. They could start the season in Dunedin, Florida, where their spring training facilities are, um, but it's something. We're getting there. There's a lot to be, to, to be I guess, wrestled over with – between these two parties or between these three parties but uh when it comes to money that's really the biggest thing is money but logistics as well because players you know they've they've got lives and they've got families and what would going back to baseball you know mean for their families but alex are you excited that maybe the wheels are in motion here or are you skeptical about how this plan is going to turn out
3: I'm definitely excited as long as they have some plans up their sleeve, because as of right now, it sounds like they're trying their best to prevent a player from testing positive. But my golden question is, what happens if a player does test positive? Because let's be honest, I'm not exactly a cynic, but I also know that when you have 1,200 players plus coaches, staff, a broadcast crew, media members, executives, someone's going to test positive at some point. Now, what happens then? Do you shut the whole league down like the NBA did? Because if that happens, that is a terrible look and a terrible feeling for fans and players. So I would certainly hope that they have some type of plan if someone gets sick. That's the first thing I want to know. The second question I have is, are you able to test everybody every single day without taking resources away from the public?
0: Yeah, that's an important question because the, right now the KBO has it put in place that if one player tests positive, the league shuts down for three weeks, which I didn't know until like 24 hours ago, so now I'm scared because that's the baseball I've been watching. So Wait, what? Well, they a said, lot of big wait, questions. Would,
1: if one player tests positive, the league shuts down for three
0: weeks? The league shuts down for three weeks because it messes up the entire schedule. Oh, if, the, if a team has to quarantine itself... So I don't know if major league baseball would do that because I have a feeling the owners wouldn't risk getting things started that if if they could get shut down very quickly. So just what the KBO is doing. Um, But, but Gary, again, you know, is this something you think is, is going to happen? Or do you think we still shouldn't get our hopes up?
1: I'm not going to get my hopes up yet, yet. I probably already did this afternoon, but yeah, it's ultimately, I think for me, it's going to come down to, for the money. It's, it's all going to be about the money for these guys. Like I know Alex, you wrote here in the document, the owners want a 50, 50 revenue split. Like, I don't, what is it right now?
3: Well, that's a good question. I haven't been able to find that info. All I know is that it's not something that they've ever done Mm -hmm. with no, with no, uh, uh, salary cap. What my question is, why can't everyone just pro, I mean, I'm sure it's much easier said than done. (laughs) Why can't, Can't everyone just prorate their salaries, whether you're a player, executive, or a coach? You're playing half a season, so everybody gets cut 50%.
0: Well, I think what the owners are saying, though, is that even though we're cutting the season in half, the revenues are going to be cut by more than half, in which I would be on the side of the players like, Who cares? Pay up owners. We're the product here. You guys are the billionaires just telling us what to do. So I would definitely be on the side of the players and with, you know, take as much money as you can. Obviously you're not going to get your full salaries. You're going to, they're going to have to be prorated because the revenues are lower, but make sure that you're not doing anything that disproportionately um, favors the owners because yeah, I mean, that's just my, my personal beliefs
3: especially at a time like this, because this isn't even a normal labor dispute. This is a labor dispute about working in in unsanitary and unsafe conditions.
0: Yeah. yeah cause, ultimately, for
1: sure. Cause ultimately they're the ones putting their lives technically on the line by going out and playing. The owners don't have to leave their house. Like they don't have to do anything. They don't have to be at the ball game. They don't have to be at the ballpark. They don't have to be even in the same country. So it's easier said than done, done for them. So. I don't know. It's all, it's going to be, it's all about the money. That's how it's all works
3: (laughs) and not to get dark or anything, but let's not pretend that all of these guys are in perfect health. I mean, yes, athletically speaking, they're all in good shape, but you have guys that are diabetic. You have guys like, was it Carlos Carrasco that had uh, some type of cancer a couple years ago? I think I read that if you're a cancer survivor within the last five years, that puts you at risk. So these guys are healthy. And they're athletic, but that doesn't mean that their immune system is fine.
0: Well, yeah, you've, yeah, you have Carlos Carrasco, Trey Mancini, who would be playing this year anyways. But there are definitely health concerns there for the players and their families, because if are they going to be allowed to be with their families, there's a lot of question marks here. But, Gabe, real quick, um, how does this, what, what Major League Baseball is, is trying to do? How is this a model for for other sports that are either trying to come back or are going to try to get their seasons underway as quickly as possible in in the fall or later in the summer?
2: So for the NFL, they have they have just an attitude that this is all going to be fixed. Hopefully, by the time that September rolls around, from what I've heard, hopefully it happens. Knock on wood. Um, when it comes to soccer, the money involved is so high that there's pretty much no way, from in my opinion at least, that they're going to just completely shut down. Uh, the Champions League, at least the the French League already canceled the season. And uh, then in the Netherlands, they're thinking about also canceling the season until a vaccine is completely made, which is going to take a lot more time. Uh, and so in the NBA, I heard that if one player is tested positive, like Alex was saying, they're just going to put him to the side and just keep on playing, which seems a little bit risky. Uh, but that's what they're going with from what I've heard.
3: I will say one thing, just going back to before, Jeff Passon did say on ESPN that, and this was last week, that he heard that if there is a player that tests positive, it doesn't necessarily mean that the league will shut down. But he didn't really give any specifics outside of that.
0: Well, yeah, look at what happened at the UFC. Was it uh, Souza tested positive and and missed his fight? He was going to fight Uriah Hall, I think?
1: Yes, I believe so. Did they
0: rebook that fight or did they just cancel it?
1: I think they've just canceled it for the time being. Maybe it'll be rebooked later on down the line. Cause I it wasn't, it's not on the list for UFC 250, which right now does not have a strong card. So I'm not too excited. Well, for the 249
0: next one. was a stacked card, but, but spread it out. Just, just yeah. spread
1: it out a little bit for me. Don't just stack it all in one.
0: <laughs> I, I think it, that is a big question. What happens if one player tests positive? It's a question I don't have the answer to. I don't feel qualified enough to answer that. Um, like I said, we'll leave that to Dr. Fauci and the rest of the medical professionals. Um, that are that are doing a great job protecting our country, but uh, Alex, talk to me about uh, Sean Doolittle. You mentioned players that are have health issues, but Sean Doolittle brings up a good point about people that are suffering with you know medical issues after they've already contracted and you know gotten through the virus.
3: Exactly. Sean Doolittle is a pitcher for the Washington Nationals. He's a very outspoken member of the MLBPA, and he even brought up we don't actually know what kind of damage you can get after you've recovered. When you get the common cold, you get the cold, you feel crappy for a few days, and then you're over it. With this virus, it's very possible that you could have some type of lung deficiency or other types of issues after the the virus leaves your body. We've had not a lot of cases yet, but some cases of young people with relatively mild conditions having strokes. And because it's a novel virus, a virus that we've never dealt with before, we don't know exactly what could happen. He also brings up the fact that, you know, the meat, uh, the meat packing plants across the country are all running rampant with this virus because of how tightly packed everyone is. That's another concern that he has, you know, MLB or, or sorry, baseball as a whole, it's not a contact sport, but that doesn't change the fact that you still have, 25 guys especially this season because they're probably going to give 40 guys a spot inside of a small locker room that's still a health hazard i don't care what kind of contact you have during the game itself and then he also has concerns about what happens when we bring it home to our family members
0: yeah a lot a lot of questions in in baseball you know not just major league baseball but the world baseball classic is taking uh, some, some extreme measures. They canceled their 2021 event, uh, which is pretty shocking because we've seen leagues get canceled for this season, and we're not sure about what's going to happen in the fall, but the World Baseball Classic was going to be next March. You know, that, that was that's a long way away. But I think with in, in terms of the, there were still qualifiers that needed to happen, and with baseball they might just be getting back you know if if baseball doesn't happen in 2020 they just might be getting started in 2021 i can guarantee you big leaguers would not be allowed to go play if teams are having their first you know interactions with them for over a calendar year so the world baseball classic cancels their event and i I think 2023 might be when it comes back but yeah were were you shocked by that alex i was but when you really think about it
3: it it it's shocking, but it makes sense because you have international travel with other countries that aren't handling the virus as well. You know, you have countries like like China, Korea, Japan that are slowly coming out of it. Then you have other countries that are still in the middle of it. And so you can't really have international travel just yet, especially since it takes over, the, uh, the World Baseball Classic takes place over the entire world. So you need to have multiple countries working together on something like this, so it's not as simple as just Major League Baseball working with the U.S. government for this one localized league. you got to worry about a whole bunch of governments around the world. The second thing that you kind of touched on before was um, the uh, qualifying rounds that are going to be taking place later this year. And obviously, we, you can't play those right now.
1: Well, it also doesn't help that 2021 is now supposed to be an Olympic year and baseball is not Olympic sport. So certain players could be taken on those rosters. I know we're not going to probably see too many MLB players on the Olympic team, but it's, that would just be cramming so much baseball into this next year we'd have a world baseball classic in the spring MLB season throughout the spring, summer and fall, and then an Olympic baseball uh, tournament in the middle of the summer. So it's just there, everyone's grabbing at straws and there's not enough to go around.
3: Exactly. And it, it really is a shame, Gary. I know this this affects other people besides just us. But the Marlins were supposed to host the was it the quarterfinals and the finals?
1: Oh no, all three rounds. We were supposed to host three rounds of the tournament.
3: Three rounds of the tournament, which was going to bring in a lot of money, not just for the city of Miami, mm-hmm. but also for the Miami Marlins as a whole. It was supposed to go back into Jeter's pocket. Hopefully, get some free agent money. We can we can have a whole separate podcast on how. <laughs> This whole year is uh, screwing up the Marlins plans. Yes. But yeah, just a lot of cities and a lot of teams right now are losing a lot of money, not just from MLB, but also from the World Baseball Classic.
1: Yeah, I was really looking forward to having World Baseball Classic back in Miami because we had the first round of the tournament here a few years ago when it was was a 2017 we had it. And I went to a game there. I didn't get to see the Dominican-USA game. I didn't get to see any of the other games. I saw the USA-Canada game not as electric as the other ones, but still it was really cool to see all the USA players kind of playing together. Like we got to see Stanton, Adam Jones, all those guys kind of coming together. And it's just like one big all-star team rolling around.
3: Yeah. The USA, was Joey Votto game. on that Canada team. Yes, he was the USA know. Canada game. That was one that got mercy ruled.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, that, I was, t- that was a fun one.
3: <laughs> can, I, can I tell you a quick 30 second story about that one? Yeah. Um, so I didn't know that mercy rules existed in that, in that tournament. Uh, Me and my friend went to go get some food around the fourth inning. Marlins Park does not handle big crowds well, so it took us about 30 minutes to get food. We come back to our seats. Uh, One of the Canadian players rolls out to shortstop, throw to first, game's over. Everyone starts getting up. I'm like, wait, what just happened? I just came back to my seat for 30 seconds, and the game is (laughs) over. I watched maybe 30 minutes of that game.
1: Well, that whole day was a mess because it was pouring outside Marlins Park and the Dominican-Columbia game just finished before the USA game. And this isn't a tournament where you kind of get a ticket for the whole day like you do for like March Madness. You get your ticket for that one game and then you got to leave. So we, me and my friends waited outside in the pouring rain till all the Colombian-Dominican fans left the stadium because no one wanted to leave because it was torrential downpour outside. <laughs> so me and my friends got soaked and then we walked into the stadium We were. it's still good. Still had a good time, but it was still just a weird experience for one of those tournaments. But it's still fun.
3: Yeah, me and my friends had to park at some woman's house who wasn't even selling parking, by the way. She wasn't one of those people selling parking. We we asked, Mm -hmm. "Are you selling parking?" And she was like, "No." And we were like, "Do you want to be selling parking?" And she was like, "For how much?" And I'm like, "For thirty bucks." So she let us park there. You paid a you paid a lot more than what I paid for.
1: (laughs) I found a place a couple blocks down the street and just paid for like 10.
0: (laughs) Gary, I didn't mind walking, but uh, that's okay. Before we wrap up the show tonight, we usually do this at the beginning of the show, but we, we didn't this night. But uh, what have you guys been up to watching, playing, reading? What have you been doing besides sports? So so no KBO, no UFC. What else have you been watching? Uh, Gabe, we'll start with you.
2: So I think it was this, this Monday, right, Gary? Uh, it was the Clone Wars season finale. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it was gut-wrenching. Uh, that last scene was heartbreaking. No spoilers. Heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yes, no spoilers, but it was heartbreaking. It was just something that I was looking forward to since uh, 2015. That's when I finished off the Clone Wars. Uh, it abruptly came to an end whenever Disney took over. And uh, it's just really cool to be able to see the finale at last. It was
1: yeah that was that was a great final season and even better last four episodes. Those last four episodes are by far the best ones the show has ever put out. And this really isn't a spoiler but these last four episodes lined up w- exactly with the timeline of episode 3. So like they'll men- they'll drop in little mentions of episode 3 and what's happening in the actual movie during the show just so you could kind of figure out where you are in the timeline. So it was really cool to see how they all kind of intertwined and there were quotes from the movies in it, but it was just overall very well done.
2: Really fun idea for quarantine: watch those four episodes in a row, and then watch Revenge of the Sith.
1: So okay, so somebody on Reddit is putting together a supercut of that, and they're just—I think it's like uh, four hours worth of. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be so cool. I don't know where the link is, but if you probably just look up uh, episode three supercut Reddit, you could probably find it somewhere. I'm but, getting uh, on that. Oh, yeah. But other than that, I've just been reading um, a book. I've found a book to read. It is a sports book. It is the anatomy of a golf course by Tom Doak. So getting into the golf course architecture game, having a lot of fun with it. And hopefully I can put some of what I've learned to use in my course review that I'll be writing for the FS view this week.
0: A real page turner. I'm sure
1: it is. It's really, I mean, it's really cool. You it's interesting to see cause like most people you look at a golf course and you just see, okay, there's the fairway. Yeah. You see, yeah. It's just one <laughs> grass is cut higher. One grass is cut lower. Another grass is cut even lower. And there's some there's sand just, in there, some sand, and a little bit of water, but there really is a lot of thought put into it. And you really have to like think if you want to work your way around a golf course and shoot a good score, you can't just say, Oh, I'm just going to hit the fairway in the middle of the green every time. Cause you'll, you'll shoot. Well, don't get me wrong. You'll shoot very well if you do those two things, but you have to be able to think your way around a golf course and be kind of meticulous and be able to adapt in certain situations. Like if you don't hit a fairway, like I don't do, like I, oh, sorry. Like I do, I don't hit fairways.
0: <laughs> well, uh, I don't know. maybe I'll have to borrow that from you after I get out on the course, but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I've also, I also ordered a book from a, a local independent bookstore in Tallahassee. Uh, I recommend if you're going to buy books, try to support your independent bookstores. I bought, uh, one of Keith laws uh, books on baseball you're right, Gary. We can read, but we've can we, we we've got to read about sports. I am re- re- rereading uh, George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. A lot of mm. people you know, watch Game of Thrones. I've, I've read it all before. But rereading it and, and catching a lot on the second read. Once I'm done with A Clash of Kings, which is the second book, I'm going to pick up that Keith Law b- book and learn a little bit more about baseball. TV I've been watching. I mentioned WWE. I uh, watched the Money in the Bank pay-per-view last night, and I had to rush to turn on Monday Night Raw while we record – this so i've got that up on my tv while i sit here at the desk and record tomahawk talk didn't you so, ask yeah us,
1: wait didn't you ask us what we were doing other than watching sports
0: well see wwe sports entertainment it's it, still it's, there's the word sports in the name though <laughs> it's just, still real <laughs> um but it is sports entertainment so i'm, I, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna allow myself to talk about that because we usually don't talk about it on the show but yeah drew mcintyre is i don't know who he's beating right now looks like he's beating andrade so Good stuff happened on on Monday Night Raw. Alex, what have you been up to?
3: Um, well, I bought a $20 set of dumbbells from Germany because it was the only place that was still selling dumbbells. Bought it off eBay. Um, the only problem is it's all in kilograms. So <laughs> I've been learning a lot of math and uh, metric conversions. So That German engineering. <laughs> and German engine for $20, man, they gave me two dumbbells that can each hold 35 pounds.
1: Okay. Yeah. I was about to say what weights do you, so like, are they the ones, you know, like they kind of like the clips and it just like tacks on more weight. Yeah. yeah like the, yeah. it's like they kind of have the holster that you put it in, you put the bar in it, then you clamp on the certain amounts. Yes. Okay.
3: Um, the problem is like, I got to convert all of it to kilograms and pounds at this point though. I just know. Like yeah, I, just I was about know. to say,
1: it becomes a feel thing. Once you get down to it, you do it the first couple of times. You're like, okay, I know that number. You just
3: look at the number and then you just go. Exactly. I'm, I'm actually really glad that it came because $20 for a pair of dumbbells is really cheap, especially when it's coming from another country. It also said that it would be delivered anytime between March 25th and May 4th, which is a huge margin for when it might get delivered. And it wound up coming here on like March 30th. Well, there Alex, you
1: that's, go. Alex, that's a lot better idea to do than me, because instead of buying dumbbells or even thinking about buying dumbbells, I found a very full bucket of baseballs and i've just been using those for like high rep curls (laughs) (laughs) like just curls just curls uh, just working biceps (laughs) gotta work off the glamour muscles
0: (laughs) exactly that's all it is all right well i think that's gonna do it for this week's episode of tomahawk talk you can listen to it as a podcast anywhere that you get your podcasts and now live on WVFS although it is pre-recorded you have to wait a little longer to catch it on that platform but for Alex Krutchik, Gabe Tisnes and Gary Putnick, I'm Brett Rutherford and you are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.